0: Welcome. Before we jump into our new series, uh, my name is Brad Jackson, and uh, this marks about exactly six months that I've been here. And there's been this weird thing that's happened the last couple of weeks where numerous people have come up and be like, how are you guys doing? How's the adjustment? And at six months in, let me just give you an update so that I don't have to have that another hundred times, although I love having it. Um, Basically, at six months in, you're going to be in two places. One would be Oh no, what did we get ourselves into? Um, And just so you know, I wouldn't be given an update if we were in that camp. (laughs) The other side is, um, in the midst of busyness and challenges and all that is going on, I think Stacy and I will sit back, have sat back and said, we... um, like God is in the middle of this. We are loving it. We are loving this community. You as a community. We are loving Mankato and uh, just feel honored and blessed to see God's hand in it. So that is the update, my friends. And uh, it's good to be around. We are jumping into a series. Often, I think in the church, we, um, especially in the Protestant church, we will say we don't want to set too many traditions because if you make something a tradition, when you break it, people get mad, right? It's just how it happens in church. You change the color of the carpet after five years, someone's going to get mad. Um, I hope Advent conspiracy becomes a tradition that we do during Advent, that we join in with hundreds, if not thousands of churches to say, if the story of Jesus is actually true, and if the incarnation speaks the message that it should, then what do we do about it? How do we, as Jesus followers, live in a different way? Like I said at the beginning of the service, the word Advent, it comes from the Latin Adventus, means the coming. And what we do in the midst of Advent is we wait. In the first century, they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for an actual deliverer. Someone to come and free them from Roman oppression. We know the whole story. We're going to break it down over the next few weeks. Now, 2,000 years later, we wait again. We believe that what Jesus started, started the ball rolling, things are happening, hope and redemption are going on all around us, but we also believe that there's going to be a second coming, that God will return again to make all things right, to restore, Revelation 21, to restore what is broken. So I've been conspiracy, the word conspire, conspire means to plot, to scheme, to plan. And my hope is that we can begin to plot, to scheme, to plan in a hopeful way around the story of Jesus and what the incarnation is all about. Let me say on the front side, I don't want to shame anybody. I don't want you, want you walking out of here being sort of guilt-ridden. I want you to be full of hope. That as we break down the story of Jesus, as we understand what it really means that God came down and became human, that it would begin to change how we think about this season. That it would move us towards freedom. It's the word I couldn't get away from as I was prepping this. That it would move us towards freedom. Listen to this. You you saw it up on the screen, but we spend $450 billion dollars at Christmas time, 450 billion. The average, that averages out to about $1,000 per family. I don't know about you, and once again, buying gifts, being together, all that stuff is good. We we wanna see it through the lens of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to begin to think a little differently about it. Like, what would it look like to give away? What would it look like to see the world around me in a very different way? Shane Claiborne says this. He said, our job is to train up a generation to laugh at the lie that joy has to be purchased. Isn't that good? Our job is to train up a generation to laugh at the lie that joy has to be purchased. So if we begin to see this through the eyes of Jesus in the story of Christmas, I hope we would ask, what if? What if that story is actually true? What would it do in my life? What would it do in my family's life? What would it do for our church if we saw the coming of Jesus in a different way? So Advent Conspiracy has four values. Next week, we're gonna look at the idea of spending less and we're actually gonna talk about what if we spent less? What if we spent purposely less so that we could give away? We're gonna talk about that. Two weeks from now, Steve Wiens is going to be back again. He's going to talk about giving more presence, Not presents, not more stuff under the tree, but what would it look like? Because we have a God who came and was fully present, right? What would it look like for us to be fully present relationally in Advent? I'm going to join in with a God who's fully present. Then I'm going to look at the idea of loving all. If this story is true, if John 3.16 holds any truth, that God loved the world, what would it look like for us to love all? To truly, truly love all. But we have to start with the first value. And the first value of Advent Conspiracy that I think is so important is worshiping fully. All those other things, spending less, giving more, loving all, those have to be seen through the idea that we are called to, that this season invites us to worship fully. So here's the definition of worship. It means to celebrate the worth of something or someone that is superior to oneself. To celebrate the worth of something or someone that's superior to oneself. We all do it. And we t- take the Christian sort of lens out of it. We all worship things. We worship people. When I was about 12, we lived in Bloomington Normal, Illinois. You've probably heard me talk about Bloomington Normal. Had a five-year stint where we moved from Colorado, Majestic Mountains, Central Illinois, a lot of corn, a lot of corn. And we moved there, and uh, moved there right at the beginning of Michael Jordan's era, um, sort of in the early 80s. And uh, one of the first years that Michael Jordan was uh, with the Bulls, they did this little summer travel around where he and his coach would travel around to different towns, and they would do this celebrity basketball thing where um, some of the local leaders in the towns would get together and play basketball against Michael Jordan. And uh, they did it in our town at Illinois State University. And it was, you know, early on, Michael Jordan quickly became the thing I worshipped. You know, you had the posters. Really, if, if you think about it, it's an intriguing study on what it means to value and esteem something as superior to yourself. So after the game, you could also go up and have Michael Jordan sign something. So we waited in line and I had a little sister about 10 years younger. Shara was about one and a half or two at the time. And we're waiting in line to get Michael Jordan. I mean, just to be near in the presence of Michael Jordan. And we get up there, sign something I'm sure, i sure. But, I, I'm sure, but then he, I, I remember vividly, he kissed Shara's hand. Michael Jordan kissed my little <laughs> sister's hand. I mean, I I was like, we are not washing that hand. We may take a family vote and cut it off and just, I mean, Michael Jordan kissed it. To value or esteem something as superior to ourselves. We all do it. And what would it mean as we enter in this season to actually do that with God? See, in the Old Testament, they had this, this idea that you would bow down to nobles and you would bow down to kings. You would bow down to things or people that were superior to you. And pretty quickly, what does God do with his people? He says, you will bow down to nothing other than me because those are false realities that don't give hope. And I want to give life and meaning. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be turning around a little bit this morning mainly in Luke 1. But Acts 10, here's, here's a great story. Cornelius is this Roman guy. He's a, sort of a big deal, <clears throat> and he's finding out about Jesus, this new king, this new Messiah, the one who saves. And he's chasing down Peter. Peter is rock star early church. Peter's chasing him down. He wants to find out what's going on, and here's what it says in verse 24. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. He's excited about this. He is going to meet Peter. Peter is going to point him to this Jesus guy. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up he said. I am only a man myself. The narrative of scripture is there is one person. There is one entity to which we bow to which we celebrate with awe and reverence as superior to ourselves, and that is God. So as we jump into Luke, I want to start with an idea. And I believe it with all of my heart. I believe that what we worship, we become. I don't think you're going to become God. I'm not trying to say that. But I think what we worship, we eventually become. So in this season of Advent, which is often Christmas time, is often sort of poured into the idea of consumerism. We often become that. I remember right before we moved from Philly out here, um, we were around Christmas time. The girls were very young, probably six months and two and a half, and we were making a last-minute run to Value City. Has anybody ever been to a Value City? Is I remember it story-wise, it was like Walmart on steroids that day. I mean, just crazy busy. It was nighttime. It was dark. We have two little kids. I'm driving around in the minivan looking for a parking place, and I pull up to a close parking place. I'm waiting. I've got it. Life is good. We can get the kids out. We can go buy the things that I'm sure we had to get. I'm sure they were that important. And as the car pulls out and leaves, this other guy zooms in and steals my place. And I vividly, I vividly remember what was going on inside of me, the anger, and maybe some of the things that were said outside of me. Let's not talk about those now. The kids are too young to remember, thank God. But I remember what went on inside of me. The anger, the just, that person. I need to get into value. We need to get in value city and we need to get those gifts. Like there, there was something that I had become because my perspective was on consumerism. What we worship, we become. What we worship, we become. So let's look at Mary's song in Luke chapter one. You all have seen it before. You've heard it before. It's an absolutely amazing, amazing passage Mary, who's been told that she is carrying God within her. Look at verse 38, her reaction to that. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you have never had sex, but you're pregnant. And by the way, you're, you're not pregnant just with anybody. You have God inside of you. That's the news that she just receives, And she says in verse 38, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. It may be to me as you have said. And then this angel leaves her. And here's Mary's reaction. Here's Mary's reaction to the news. Jump down to verse 46 of Luke chapter one. Mary said, "My soul glorifies." Literally, soul is that it's that inmost reality. Some would say it's even, it's even that sort of image of God stuff on the deepest part of who you are. My soul, that deepest reality inside of me, it makes great God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful. The humble state of his servant from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Before we read the rest of it, I think there's a couple of things that we need to realize. One is, I believe in my heart of hearts that you and I are made to worship. I believe we are made in the image of God with a deep-seated need, a deep-seated desire to be in relationship with the God of the universe. And we can chase thing after thing after thing after thing for fulfillment. And I believe we won't find it until we find God. And many of us do that. We chase the next job. We chase fulfillment and friendships. We chase fulfillment and how busy our kids are. We do all these things and we chase and we chase and we chase. We worship and we worship and we worship. Never being fulfilled. And I believe for everyone in here, it's not until we find a trusting relationship with God that we're fulfilled. See, one of the other beautiful parts of this story and the story of Jesus as we enter into Advent is we we sort of say, why do we worship God? Why would we worship this God? And the question is, what is God like? The question beneath that is, what is God, why would you worship God? And the beauty of Jesus coming is this. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ. If you're wondering if God is worth a trusting relationship, look at Jesus Christ. That's who God is. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was what? God. Jesus is not some sort of soft representation of God, maybe a little bit like God. Jesus is God. That's why we start this with worshiping fully. We're made for it, and we see God in Jesus Christ. Keep reading verse 50. Mary says this. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our father, What Mary sort of brings into clarity here is that this is the expected reality of God's story. Jesus coming to earth was not, a, you know, maybe I should go down and be with my, no, this is part of God's plan. This is part of God's plan of redemption and Mary gets to be part of it and her first reaction is to say, I worship you. I, maybe I don't fully get it. Maybe I'm trying to wrestle with it. And how is my relationship with Joseph going to work? What's that going to look like? But at the end of the day, I worship you. My soul magnifies. This is God's story. God is the one who comes down and rescues And as I read that, often I sort of think, maybe I'm the proud, maybe I'm the ruler that he's talking about, and what does it look like to humble myself so that I can fully be in that worshiping relationship with God? It's interesting, you look at Luke 1 and 2, and I hope, I hope you all read the story of Jesus coming over this Christmas season. Read Luke 1 and 2 again and again and again, but it's interesting. For almost every character in the Christmas story, when they get the story, on whatever level they get it, when they get it, their first reaction is worship. From Zechariah to Mary, the angels, the shepherds, their first reaction when they hear that God has come, that the rescue is starting, their reaction is to worship because they see God in Jesus Christ. The psalmist says this, With everything that has breath, praise the Lord. What would it look like for us to worship with wild abandon this season? To say, if this story is actually true, if God has come down in human form and we see who God is in Jesus Christ... What would it look like to lift high the name of God to exalt that there is a living God who's at work and alive and active? And everyone, let everyone who has breath, kids and adults and grandparents and small groups, what would it look like to worship with abandon during the season? Worship fully, we gotta start here. Let me say it again. We become what we worship. Some of you were probably told growing up, you become what you eat, right? I remember my parents saying that to me. If there's any kids in here, your parents are lying when they say that. You don't actually become what you eat. What if that's true? We become what we worship even thinking of the values of Advent conspiracy. If we only think about spending less, if we sort of worship that as our our value of what we're going to be about, then we become prideful people consumed with spending less. And that's not the point of it if it becomes just about the relational thing, giving more of our presence in this season, and we miss the idea that there is a God who taught us how to be fully present, you won't be able to do it. You'll be in those relationships, struggling, wondering, trying to figure it out. If we try to love all without knowing that there is a God who created everyone in his image, we'll tend to love people that only look a lot like us. It has to start with worshiping fully. So who or what will you worship this Christmas season? Remember what worship is. Worship is to celebrate the worth of something or someone that is superior to yourself. Paul put it this way in Philippians, one of the hymns of the early church. He said, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. And listen to this next line. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Just at the name of Jesus. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mary got it right. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. God, my Savior. As we close, I'm gonna invite you to do something that's a little different. My hope is never that you come to church and just hear a sermon that you like and makes you feel good. When we open God's word, our goal is that we become a little bit more like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said, that he was in birth pains until the church in Corinth was formed into the image of God. And so we want to take what we learn and how we worship out from here. And this morning is going to be a little different. I want you, as we close, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. So go ahead and close your eyes. My hope when we think about worshiping fully is that we can begin to imagine all that God is in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read Revelation chapter 5, the whole chapter. And as your eyes are closed, Ask God to give you the imagination to see His Son, to see who God is. Revelation 5. And I saw on the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God when they will reign on the earth. Then I looked. I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on On the sea and all that is in them, singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped.